Hi, everyone. Today we have one reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17, to chapter 3, verse 13. You can follow along on the screen. But, brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who was our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just come now, has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, everyone. So good to be here and so good to see you all and be with you all. Um, God is really good. And I know that every time I get up here, I say that, but it's because he is. Um, And you guys are a reminder to me about that truth. Um, And that's what we're going to be talking about today is mutual encouragement. Dates that are most important about our faith, and about the faith of God's people. And that's what Paul is saying here today in 1 Thessalonians. Faith is what matters. Um, Recently, I was listening to a podcast about adult friendships and just how hard it is as an adult to form really meaningful long-term friendships. I was talking to one of the guys in our church family about this. And on this podcast that I was listening to, the presenters put forward this idea, and maybe you've heard it before, that in life, there are friends for a reason, friends for a season, and friends for life. Three types of friends. Friends for a reason, for a season, and for life. And what they were saying was, what you need to do is figure out what each person is to you. Because once you do that, then you know what to expect, and you won't be disappointed. But of course, there was a caveat in what they had to say, because they said, you've got to temper your expectations a little bit because if you're out there looking for new friends, um, not everyone's in the same boat. Maybe people have their own friends and so they might not have as much time for you as you might have for them. 
At the end of the, at the, end of the podcast, their advice was what? Join a sporting club, an interest group, join an online community, put yourself out there, hope for the best. In life, there are so many different types of relationships, so many different types of friendships. And they're all formed and held together by different things. Take uh, your workplace, for example, right? Um, since you've got to be in the same place for 40 hours a week, well, it's changed since COVID, but for the most part anyway, since you've got to be in the same place for 40 hours of the week, you may as well make friends, have some fun with it, bond over a shared dislike of your manager or whatever like that, so your 40 hours seems a bit more bearable, right? That's a type of relationship that you might have with someone. But whatever your relationship is, like, you've got to do the work. You've got to show up. You've got to do the things. And that's what holds your relationships together, right? That's half of the battle with friendships and relationships is just showing up. But the Bible points us to a deeper bond that Christians have. It's a bond that runs deeper and is stronger than your ability to hold a relationship together. I'm talking about our bond in Jesus or what theologians call union with Christ. This is a bond that doesn't primarily depend on us holding it together. It's a relationship that is held by another by God. And this reality, union with Christ, it underpins everything that Paul has to say in 1 Thessalonians. It underpins, I would dare say, everything that Paul has to say in all of his epistles. Um, And so I want to do a quick bit of theology first, and I promise you we'll get to 1 Thessalonians, okay? So just hang with me. Um, So in in my life before, planting a church, did a lot of work with um, disengaged young people, teaching um, and social work. And one thing that really um, stood out for me and really informed a lot of what I did was attachment theory, right? And attachment theory um, tells us that every single one of us need safe, consistent, reliable and loving relationships to thrive. That's what attachment theory tells us. And the story of the Bible actually is that that God meant for our relationship with him, a relationship of perfect love and stability and acceptance and security, he meant for that to be the foundation for our flourishing. He meant it since the moment of creation. And what's sin? Well, sin is rebelling and rejecting this relationship with God. It's us selfishly wanting to be free of God and to go our own way. And what happens is that this fractures that relationship. But since God is faithful, since he is loving, he refuses to give up on those he's made. And so what does God do? God comes into space and time in Jesus to save us by joining us to himself. Let me say that again. He comes into space and time in Jesus to save us by joining us to himself forever. How does God do that? Well, in Jesus, God takes into himself human flesh and blood. He lives the life that we should perfectly. He suffers the rejection that we deserve at the cross and he was raised to life to prove that not even death would separate God from his people. 
And it's through trusting in Jesus, through faith in him, that God joins us to himself. He gives the Holy Spirit to live in your body and in my body and enabling us to live in a real relationship with him. And because the Spirit unites us to Christ, everything that is true of Jesus is and will be true of you and I. And this changes us. This transforms us. Union with Christ is the foundation for our mutual relationships here. In the New Testament, Paul uses this image of marriage to paint a picture for us of what union with Christ is like. So there's a legal aspect to it, right? Um, so many of you will know my wife, Blessy. Legally speaking, when we got married, what was mine became hers and vice versa. And that's true of us in Jesus. All of his goodness and righteousness and purity is now counted toward us. But there's also a relational aspect too. It's not just legal. Being united and joined together in marriage means that our lives are tied together through all of the ups and downs forever. And whether or not you're married, that's inconsequential to this truth that as Christians, we are united to Christ. And so what's true of him is true of us too. We're joined with him in his death through baptism. We share in the power of the resurrection today as the spirit changes us. And we will share in his resurrection life when we are raised bodily. We even share in his ascension now too. Paul says that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And this means many things, but one of the things that it does mean for us and, and for this talk here today is it means that we have the same access to the Father and to the Spirit that Jesus has because we've been united with him. We enjoy this relationship of mutual love and trust and security that's within God. And that's the basis for our relationships as Christians. Whether or not you are a Christian, right, we all need something to hold relationships together. Mutuality is something that we all strive for in our relationships. We need something to form and to hold mutual relationships together. And I wanna say that the Christian story and union with Jesus is the most powerful bond that we can have as people because it doesn't depend on us. It depends on an infinitely loving God to hold that bond together. But being joined to Jesus doesn't only mean that you've been united to God. It also means that you've been united to your brothers and sisters too. You don't get Jesus without his body. You don't get joined to Christ without the church. And whatever your relationship is with the church, and I know that that's different and varied and complicated, but that's not something that we can totally disregard. God saves us into a family. And he gives us the power to be able to live out mutual love and concern and encouragement together. And it's to those three things that I want to point our attention to from the text today. That union with Christ enables us to live out mutual love, mutual concern, and mutual encouragement. So let's look at those three. 
Let's start with mutual love. So as Laura was reading through um, chapters two and three, it was probably hard for you not to notice how emotional Paul sounded. He used really emotive language, right? In verse 17 in chapter two, he talks about being separated from the Thessalonians like being orphaned. Think of the, the agony and the pain that a parent would feel as their child is torn away from them. That's how Paul felt, being separated from the Thessalonians. Further on, he says he longed intensely to be with them. They were always on his mind. He says that he did all that he could to get back to them, but Satan blocked his way. Look at verses 19 and 20. Paul says, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? And you expect him to say, Jesus, right, the Sunday school answer. But no, he doesn't give you the Sunday school answer. He says, is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. Chapter three, verse one, Paul says that he could stand it no longer and so he and his companions chose to be without Timothy and sent him back to find out what happened. Verse five, he says that he was full of worry and fear afraid that the tempter had tempted the Thessalonians to turn their back on the eternal hope and life that they have in Jesus. And then as Timothy returns to Paul and to the team, his reports fill Paul with joy. The Thessalonians are growing in love for God and love for each other. And even more than this, their love for Paul continues to burn bright. Yeah, verse six tells us that the Thessalonians treasured the memories that they had with Paul. They didn't remember him as the religious con artist that everyone was accusing him of being. They remembered him fondly. They longed to see Paul and just as much as his heart ached to see them. You see, Paul and the Thessalonians were inseparably bound together in love, not only because of their shared experiences, but even more deeply because they were joined and held together in Christ. And that's what faith in Christ works out in us, mutual love for our brothers and sisters. When you look at your brother or your sister in the eye, you can see someone who has been joined to Jesus just as much as you have. We are part of God's family together by faith. Whether it's your brothers and sisters here from different MCs or whether it's from grasslands and inner west, we are all part of the same body in Christ. You know, Paul's language here is emotive and for the most part it's pretty warm, right? Pretty loving. And the reality is though that sometimes with our brothers and sisters in the church, we don't always feel that way. And you know what, you read the New Testament and neither does Paul. He doesn't always feel warm fuzzies about the churches that he's leading and serving, right? You just read 1 Corinthians or Galatians and you realize that Paul has some things to say. But underpinning all of that is the mutual bond of love in Christ. If we base all of our interactions on pure emotion alone, our churches will fracture, our relationships will fall apart. If it only has to feel good all the time, then we can never possibly sustain that. 
But union with Jesus, being held by him together, gives us the power to work through that stuff. Why? 1 John 3 tells us that we know what love is because Christ laid down his life for us. It's not just the warm fuzzies. It's laying your life down for your brother or your sister that is an expression of true and genuine love. You know, um, growing up, my dad would always say to me, John, you can't give someone 100 bucks if you've only got 10 in the account. And this is what God's self-giving love for us in Jesus has done. He's given us infinite love, forgiveness, grace, compassion. It's ours in Christ. And so being joined to Jesus means that we can extend those things in love to our brothers and sisters too. We can show up for each other. We can work through the hard stuff. We can even give ourselves for the good of our brothers and sisters out of a growing love for Jesus and for them. But we don't just share love, right? We share a concern for each other as well. It's hard not to love, it's hard not to be concerned for someone's well-being if you love them. And that's the natural flow on here. We share in a mutual concern for each other. What was Paul's greatest concern for the Thessalonians? Each week through this sermon series, we've talked about how they've been under attack, under persecution, they're suffering, they're losing their jobs, they're losing their influence in the city, they're losing their status. Some of them are even being attacked physically for their faith. You know, typically we use religion as a way of making our lives better. But their faith in Jesus is making their life a lot harder. What was Paul concerned about? their circumstances? No, he told them, right? We read it before in chapter three. Paul told them repeatedly, you are going to be persecuted. You are going to suffer. Jesus himself says as much, right? He says, in this world, you will have trouble. Paul's concern wasn't for their circumstances. It was for their faith. That's what he cared the most about. Look again at verse five. He says, for this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. He was concerned for their faith. He sent Timothy not to provide them with material or financial relief. He sent Timothy to encourage and strengthen them in their faith. And in verse 10, what does Paul hope to do when he returns to them? To build up their faith even further to supply what was lacking. And so I want to apply this to us here today. What is our greatest concern for our brothers and sisters? When we get together and we have a meal around the table for MC, or when we share a coffee together or we go out for lunch or whatever, what's your greatest concern for your brother or your sister? Is it, how's your health going? You know, is it, how's your marriage? And it's great, we should talk about those things. But at what point do we turn to our brother and sister and say, how's your faith? How's that going? Because as Christians, there's nothing more important than that. Could it be that 
we don't prioritize our faith as much as we should? Could it be that we don't prioritize our faith as much as Paul does? If you pay attention to what Paul prays for in all of his letters, very rarely does he pray for circumstances to change. Most often, he prays that faith and hope and love will take root in the hearts of the church that he cares for. What would it sound like for us to prioritize each other's faith? What would it look like for us to make that our greatest concern as God's people? How could you introduce that question into your vocabulary when you meet a brother or sister that you love and say, how's your faith? I wonder if sometimes we don't go there in our relationships because of like shame or guilt, you know? What if that person's not doing great? Well, I don't wanna make them feel embarrassed and awkwardly then not know what to say or what if they are doing great and what if asking that question just makes me feel guilty because I'm not in a good place myself. And actually the antidote to both of these scenarios is the place that we started with. We've been joined and united to Jesus. To the struggling person, we can point them to the God who doesn't condemn them and judge them as a failure, but who sees them as a beloved child of God, just as Jesus is. And if they are doing great, then that doesn't have to reflect poorly on us because we are loved children of God, not judged or condemned. And so we can be joyful and celebrate with our brothers and sisters and say things like, wow, isn't God great? Isn't it incredible how God is sustaining your faith right now? I love the way that you are living your faith out in X or Y or Z. And maybe that might be the thing that encourages our hearts and strengthens us to follow Jesus more faithfully today. And so we've gone from mutual love to concern and then to encouragement. Inevitably, our hearts will be strengthened when we share in the faith of our brothers and sisters. Right? In chapter two, verse 19, Paul says that he glories or he boasts in the Thessalonians. What does that mean? It means that they are living proof that the God Paul serves and the gospel that he preaches is real and true. They, since they're united to Christ together, they are Paul's hope and joy and crown. They are his reward for his faithfulness to Jesus here and now. He's filled with joy in verse seven in chapter three as he hears about the way God is preserving their faith and they are persevering in the face of persecution. And he himself, in his own faith, in his own experience of persecution, is strengthened and encouraged because the Thessalonians are holding fast to Jesus. What does he say? He says, for now we really live because you are standing firm in Christ. Verse nine, he says, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of God because of you? 
Yeah, Paul boasts in Christ. He absolutely does. He boasts in what God has done for him in Jesus, but he also boasts in God's goodness and power working itself out through his people. And so what do we boast about as a community? What do we brag about when we talk about our family of faith and the God that we serve? Do we boast in our flashbang services or our innovative programs or the powerful sermons that you hear week in and week out? Might not be this week because I'm preaching. What, what do you boast in? Do you boast in the thickness of our community? Is that what we take the most joy and pride in? Or is our boast in God and his love and joy and power working itself out through the faith and lives of our brothers and sisters? Do we talk about our church? What do we talk about when we talk about our church? Is it the activities or is it the people? I want to suggest that we talk more about the people and less about the things that we do. You know... We could say things like, you know, Tim, there's this person in my MC and they're living through real grief and loss and they're still holding on to God's goodness in the dark of night and they encourage me and they strengthen my faith and they remind me that God is good. That person's in our community. And there's others to boast in too. And I want to encourage you, take the time, boast in your brothers and sisters. You know, I know that there's people in the midst of uncertainty and unemployment, trusting that God cares for and provides for his children. That person's in our community and they're holding on to Jesus by faith. There's people in our family living with chronic illness, mental and physical, and yet they're holding on to the promise of a resurrected body someday in Christ that someday they will have a new and glorious and healthy and thriving body. And they're holding on to that faith. And we should boast in them. And there's people in our community holding on and following Jesus faithfully, worshiping him and making life decisions in honor of him to the disapproval and dismay of their families. That person's in this room. And I can't thank God enough for you. There's parents who turn up week in and week out with their kids, and it's such a battle. It's so much easier as a parent myself to stay home and turn on the TV and get Maccas, then drag all the kids to church, get them dressed, try to moderate their behavior roughly, and try not to break anything. There are parents in this family who believe that raising their kids up with Jesus is better than without. You're an inspiration. Keep doing it. There's one more detail that I haven't mentioned in this text. Two times, at the end of chapter two and at the end of chapter three, Paul mentions that he is certain that Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. He will return to restore fully all the relationships that God desires to have with his world. Family, this is our faith. Someday we will see Jesus face to face. We will be as he is. We will share fully in the joy and the love and the life that God has in store for us. And as we wait for that day, God has united us to himself 
He's joined us in Christ. And there's great encouragement for us to draw, not only from Jesus, but from each other here today. So let's live loving each other with the love that God has shown us. Let's care for each other and each other's faith because nothing is more important. And let's encourage each other as we trust and follow Jesus together. We all need a glue to hold mutual relationships together. And thank God that for Christians, it's not up to us, but God who holds it in his hands. Let me close by praying what Paul prays in verses 12 to 13. In a West Church, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. And may our God strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all of his holy ones. Amen.